are listening to Beyond the Whistle. Beyond the Whistle is the show that takes you beyond the X's and O's to provide tips and advice on the business of sports and how sports professionals can advance in their careers. Beyond the Whistle is brought to you by McCant Sports, a sports executive search and sports leadership consulting firm. Learn more at McCantSports.com. Welcome to Beyond the Whistle. I'm your host, Odell McCants, and thank you for listening. On this episode, we're going to not just go beyond the whistle. We're going to go beyond the ball, the court, field, beyond everything traditional sports to explore esports. And if you think esports is just teenage boys watching someone else play a video game, then you have not been following the emergence of this sport and business. Here's some numbers for you. In 2016, esports revenues totaled $493 million dollars. This year's projections see revenues growing to 696 million. That's 41.3% year over year growth. And of this, China and North America alone will generate $362 million of revenue. There are close to 100 colleges sponsoring esports teams with scholarships. And just last week, the University of Utah became the first NCAA Power Five school to launch an esports program. Earlier this year, the NBA announced the creation of its own NBA 2K League to debut in 2018. Eight NBA teams are highly invested in esports, not just for the NBA League, but invested in the esports business. They include Monumental Sports, owners of the Washington Wizards, the Philadelphia 76ers, and even the historic and iconic Boston Celtics. And this week, investment banking firm Morgan Stanley released a research paper that estimates the value of the Blizzard Overwatch Esports League to be between $100 million to perhaps even $700 million. And that's just one league. I've started watching the development of the esports business very closely, and my guest today is the go-to guy for all things esports. Manny Anakel is the founder and CEO of The Next Level, a daily digital esports business resource. Manny is also the founder of Versus Sports, an esports team and marketing and business strategy organization. Manny has also been an executive at some of the largest video game content and hardware companies. I found Manny through his own podcast, The Next Level, which is a must-listen for esports news, which there will be a link to in the show notes. Manny, welcome to Beyond the Whistle. Thank you so much for having me. As a matter of fact, that was a great intro. I don't even know what to say now. You covered covered it all. Great. I like that, Phil. Thank you very much. Manny, many of our listeners may not be familiar with the esports industry or the amazing growth recently. What would be your brief kind of esports 101? Yeah, you know, brief, I would say probably would take me about eight hours, which is going to be too long for your podcast. So I'll try to keep it much shorter. So, you know, I think the easiest way to sort of put it in in bullet points for people that aren't familiar with it is, one, it's basically as crazy it may sound to some people, it is essentially mostly young males between the ages of about, say, 17 all the way up to 30 playing video games on a professional level, which means that, for example, when you played Super Mario Brothers back in the 80s when Nintendo first came out, imagine someone playing Super Mario Brothers in an arena or streaming it or having a tournament and actually getting money for that. So that's eSports really 101 is that it's essentially just like a professional sport. The biggest difference, though, is that basketball is basketball, football is football, golf is golf. But eSports has essentially, let's call it 
10 different probably top games, but you could probably expand that out to potentially 30 games that are actually quote unquote involved in esports. So from an esports 101 perspective, that's the biggest thing that I'd like to tell people who ask me that question, which is that it's not just one game or one sport. It's multiple titles, multiple games, multiple publishers, multiple modes. So, Manny, one of the features I like to uh, provide listeners on the show is the career and business journey of our guests. And how did you get involved in this business? Oh, that's a great question. So uh, I've actually been in the gaming industry for 13 years now, and I have the uh, gray hair and blood pressure to prove that because the gaming industry is very, very challenging. So as you mentioned, um, I've worked at a startup called Massive. We pioneered in-game advertising inside consoles and PCs. We got acquired by Microsoft Xbox. I spent some time on the Xbox side. From there, my biggest client was Electronic Arts. So I moved to San Francisco and basically uh, set up the global ad operations business for EA's media sales team for them to go out to talk to brands about the opportunity and platforms. When I was living in San Francisco, I was literally living across the street from a company that had a red dog sign on it. And every two months, I'd see them with another building and I didn't know who that was. And that turned out to be Zynga, which is the company which is famous for Farmville and sorry for spamming you all on Facebook. That wasn't my idea. So don't blame me. So I was the uh, global director of a brand advertising at Zynga. So again, talking about, you know, brands, you know, Frito-Lay, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, essentially why they should advertise within the gaming platform. From there, I went to uh, Keep, which is a mobile rewards advertising company. Essentially, you play Angry Birds, you pass level one. Hey, congrats, here's 10 coins brought to you by Coke. Or you finish a five-mile run on RunKeeper. Hey, you did a great job, you beat your time. Would you like a free Gatorade? Enter your email and enter that house. So I wanted to get you know mobile experience, you know, not to essentially use someone else's quote but you know i like wayne gretzky's quote of you know don't go where the puck is now go to where the puck is going later so to answer your question how i got to esports was i want to move back to new york you know i'm an east coast guy so i was missing new york i came back and became the svp of marketing at major league gaming which was obviously you know one of the top esports companies in north america next to twitch and at that time, that's where I got involved in the business and I saw the immense growth and the opportunity and especially for brands and advertisers to look at this platform to provide the best ROI. Like, Do you want to spend $250,000 for a 30-second spot that basically males or females 18 to 34 may not even watch? Or do you want to take that investment essentially own an event or own a tournament. And I saw the ROI being much greater. And then lastly, Activision bought MLG. So literally, uh, literally, the anniversary was one, uh, two days ago. What I saw was that if you want to find out who the best Counter-Strike team was or who the best Call of Duty player was, there's 10 million articles and 50,000 Reddit threads. And you could find that. But for me, what I was looking for was who's investing in the space, what startups are coming out in the space, what's going on with the TV ratings, what are brands doing in this space, essentially a Wall Street Journal plus TechCrunch plus Adweek for esports, essentially the business of esports. And I couldn't find what I was looking for. So me not being an English major, not being a lit major, and I think I'm a terrible writer, I was like, hey, you know, screw it, I'll do it myself. So I started 
writing about the business of esports. That then turned into a website. That then turned into a newsletter. That then turned into a podcast. And that's continued to grow. And then as I've spent now one year essentially thinking about esports 25 hours a day, that's progressed into owning an esports team, doing the consulting, and uh, two other ventures uh, that will be announced shortly. So my long-winded answer to your question of that's how um, I got into esports, and that's my career in gaming. No, and I told you, folks, he, this is the go-to guy for the esports <laughs> industry. I mean, you you've seen evolve. You've been on the development side, the marketing side, production, and now in industry news and, and content, and actually owning a team. What does ownership of a team look like uh, in, in esports? Yeah, so that's a great question. So, ownership of a team could be as small as hey, I'm going to start Whistle Sports esports team and basically sign one Street Fighter player. And there you go. You have an esports team. Or you can then take it up all the way to the highest level, which is most recently Raptor Group, which is Celtics. AS, they own the Celtics and AS Roma. They just invested $7 million in Fnatic. Fnatic is probably, you know, one of the top teams in the world. I would estimate that they will probably be, you know, one of the first teams to be valued at a hundred million dollars. They have their own hardware line. They have Fnatic, you know, mice, Fnatic mouse pads, keyboards, essentially itself. So what it means to own an esports team, because I still think we're in year one or day one for esports, it could really mean anything. So if you look, I mean, if you Google esports teams, you will find that wide range of, hey, we've got two players all the way up to, say, you know, I mentioned Fnatic or Andy Miller and Energy. Andy Miller co-owns the Sacramento Kings. You know, he essentially has... 10 teams under energy playing against those 10 different titles. So it's the variance is very high. So when I want to watch a basketball game, you know, I've got ESPN, I've got TNT. What are the platforms that, that viewers and fans consume esports contests? Yeah, no, that is another fantastic question. Is that that's actually, um, I would say one of my three main themes for esports in 2017 is essentially what I'm calling the bifurcation of media. So to your point, you know, if you want to watch, you know, the NFL, it's kind of ABC, ESPN. If you want to watch baseball, it's TBS. If you want to watch basketball, you pretty much go to TNT. If you want to watch NHL, you go to uh, NBC Sports Network. So just like traditional sports, it's kind of splintered. There isn't one sports channel. So what happened with esports was, you know, say three years ago or prior to Amazon acquiring Twitch, if you really wanted to watch uh, esports content, you basically went to Twitch. Twitch base had it all. You know, they were the king of the hill. But what's happened is over in the last year right now, Everyone has entered this space. So, for example, if you want to watch the Rocket League Championship Series, you have to watch that on Twitch. If you want to watch Street Fighters League right now, that's going to be on TBS at 10 p.m. tonight. If you want to watch a, an exclusive 30-minute esports recap show, that's going to be on Twitter. If you want to watch a one-hour recap show that deals with the different news in the area, that's a program with ESL and Yahoo Sports. If you want, then you live in Europe or a couple other countries and you want to watch esports 24 hours a day, there's a TV channel called Jinx TV based in the UK that broadcasts esports content 24-7. So essentially what's happened is take the traditional 
sports model. And that's what's happening to esports going forward. And I forgot to mention one other one, which is, you know, one of the biggest ones, um, which is Facebook. So Facebook actually recently signed an exclusive deal to take Heroes of the Dorm, which was an event that ESPN ran for the last two years. And now it's exclusively on Facebook. Uh, two days ago, Facebook just announced a deal with Team Dignitas, which is owned by the 76ers, where they will now also co-exclusively only broadcast on Facebook and Twitch. So again, long answer to your question is three years ago, you went to one place. Right now, you need to go to multiple places, and that's only going to grow going forward. Well, you know, Manny, I've been passionately following esports here recently, and it's become a daily follow of mine now because I see so many opportunities and stories here that my mind starts to swim sometimes. It's just swimming and racing because what, what I hear is the convergence of so many things. I hear a demographic that brands are always looking to connect with those young males. There's obviously clearly a technology, you know, platform here. And I hear all of the, you know, Twitch, which was, which was acquired by Amazon. Am I, am I correct recently? Twitch was acquired by Amazon a couple of years ago, correct, for a for, for, for billion dollars. Okay, a couple of years ago for a billion dollars. And I'm hearing Twitter and Yahoo and Facebook. Um, so I'm hearing this kind of social media, digital platform at the same time that I hear, you know, we're hearing consumers cutting the cord. And you mentioned ESPN losing some rights there. And we hear of ESPN and their declining subscribers and some financial decline there. You talked about not being where the puck is, but where it's going to go. I mean, what do you see the media impact on this year? Does it, does that question make any sense? It absolutely does. And I, and I get that's one of the biggest questions that I get. And there's a couple of things that I think we need to consider. One is, you know, cord cutting is happening. You know, I haven't had cable for a long time because again, you know, you can get multiple pieces of content throughout various platforms. And also people don't need to watch you know, essentially, this is nothing against ESPN, but 30 minutes of Sports Center when I can go through Twitter in five seconds and kind of get the sports information that I need. So from a media perspective, the way that I look at it is, what are people watching? What are young people watching? And if you look at all the numbers, while the viewership has potentially declined on TV, the term quote unquote TV consumption has actually increased. So while they may not be sitting on their couch and flipping through their cable channel, they're on their mobile phones, they're on their iPads, they're on their computers. So that consumption has actually increased. So when I talk about esports and TV, esports doesn't need TV. TV needs esports to get the ad dollars to then drive their digital media. So one example that I'll, I'll leave you with, which is, you know, kind of really explains it from a media consumption for me is that when I was eight years old, you know, I came back in the Triassic period because I'm very old. Um, I, you know, I came home from school, you know, did my homework and, you know, four o'clock, you know, watch Scooby-Doo on TBS. And that was, you know, media consumption. Hey, Thursday came around eight o'clock Cosby show. Like it was TV based, time based viewing. I have an eight year old son. After he comes home from school, you know, he's got some limited electronic time that whatever he wants to do, 99% of my son's media consumption is either Minecraft videos on YouTube or playing mobile games on his iPad. 
he has zero concept of the notion of TV or, you know, Netflix and the shows that he watches. So when you look at that media consumption habit and what's going to happen, you know, I look at esports being one of the drivers of why people are, you know, launching these content platforms. You look at Bamtech's $300 million deal with Riot for League of Legends. And, you know, what I tell any media person or people involved in content is, just spend one hour at an elementary or middle school and you will see the future right there. Manny, you stole one of my questions here. Now, I have a seven-year-old and <laughs> he is addicted to Minecraft. And what I think is a great game for kids to play, you know, what has amazed me is how he loves watching those Minecraft videos, too. Uh, you know, yeah, going on to YouTube and watching the videos and these popular YouTube Minecraft personalities. So with us having sons of the same age, how, how do you see their consumption and their interest in watching these videos? How do you see that driving the future of esports? I think I'll answer that in, in a couple of different ways. One is that it is very hard to grasp is that there's a reason why people like like or hate watching LeBron or Steph or Mello or you know some of the big athletes you know in basketball. It's not that they're just great players. There's a story behind them. And I think that's the thing that people miss about why are kids watching someone else just play a video game? It's not that they're just playing Minecraft. So Stampy, who's obviously, mm -hmm. I'm sure your son knows, one of the, one of the, one of the biggest YouTubers and, and Twitcher people out there in terms of the Minecraft community, you know, he's extremely funny. He talks to his audience, you know, my son laughs out loud. So for him, he's not watching some random British guy play Minecraft. He's actually watching a TV show. It's an episode. It's content. So I think that personality plays a huge effort. And one thing that, again, people don't realize is, oh, my God, that, that guy's just making Minecraft videos on YouTube. That's crazy. Don't quote me on this, but I believe he made $7 million last year. Wow. So I would do that for Minecraft videos. <laughs> that, that, that works for me. So the yeah. second, and, and the second part that I would go with is that the other thing that people don't understand yet also is that Minecraft isn't really, I would call it a video game in the traditional sense, because it's an open world creative area where you can use your imagination. Yep. So, so Microsoft actually partnered with code.org to actually essentially start kids learning computer science and coding through Minecraft. My son did it. He finished it in like a day and a half. But what it teaches kids at that age of, you know, six, seven, eight is how to use logic, right? And logic is essentially what computer programming is based on. So what I also believe is that Minecraft will be required almost as a class within elementary or middle schools within the next few years. And one thing that I can talk about that's confidential is that there's one state in the U.S. right now that is basically setting up essentially within their middle school a dedicated Minecraft class that goes across the entire state. So it's not just a video game. It's a huge educational tool. Yeah, that's amazing. So we can add education to that convergence of areas here. Many of the traditional sports, I think it's fair to say we've seen basketball and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but be, be the leader in embracing and investing uh, in esports. You know, the NBA teams have invested in, in esport teams and the NBA is starting its own league. And I see even former players and players such as Rick Fox, you know, buying into teams and launching his own esports venture fund. You know, to what do you attribute basketball leading the way? 
So I think there's a couple of things for uh, reasons for that. One is that when you see the early emergence of who came in to esports, call it, you know, two years ago, is obviously you had Andy Miller with the Sacramento Kings, you know, essentially starting energy, and that's you know one piece there. Then you have you know Shaq obviously investing in energy, and that's another basketball huge basketball personality. Rick Fox, you know, essentially got into esports because his son loved it and he was like oh my god this is the next future sport and i think rick fox is great and the thing about him is that he's not just writing a check and say hey go do this he's going to the tournaments he's in the practices he's with the teams so you know there's a huge amount of involvement there so i think it's just one coincidentally the nba players or owners got in first but the bigger reason is that you know, if you're a football team or a baseball team, it's very, very hard to get 50,000 people to come to your football stadium and then set up a video game tournament inside of, say, you know, uh, an NFL stadium like, you know, the Giants or Jets here in New York. However, if you're an NBA owner and you own in your own arena, I'll use Andy again, like and the Golden One Center in Sacramento and obviously the Kings and the Golden One Center, essentially, he you know, made it the most technologically advanced arena to date because, you know, esports needs that technology and infrastructure is that it's much easier to fill 8,000, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000. So when I was at Madison Square Garden, you know, a couple of months ago, there were 25,000 people watching 10 Chinese teenagers play a video game right where the Knicks play. So I think, I think based because of, you know, arenas make much more sense and that size i think that's that's a reason why the nba has sort of taken the lead however if you look at the overall pro sports team investment which i think right now is close to 50 across the world europe and football is or soccer i'm sorry football is i call in europe soccer as we call it here (laughs) is is clearly leading the space and they've made the most investments to date i see basketball is able to leverage what I think is a huge marketing advantage it has over the other sports that fits in with esports and that basketball is an easier sport for a fan to actually go play his or herself and they can actually use and wear the gear that they see, you know, Steph Curry, I can go buy those Under Armour shoes and wear them. I can get a ball and play it myself. And that also thought came to my mind as I meant, I heard you mention an eSport team that has their own peripherals, you know, they're selling uh, their own mice and keyboards. I mean, does, is, is, that, is that a fair statement as well? Absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a very, very good point about you can play esports by yourself. You can play basketball by yourself, but you know, baseball or football is very, very challenging. But I think to the second part of your question, look at, you know, the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat made a, an investment in a team called Misfits. And what they basically said and what every pro sports team is doing. And I've written this on TNL.media, which is my website, which is, you know, you look at the opportunities for not only drawing in young fans, Now you're also drawing in potentially people to have events in that area, but the bigger potential opportunity is merchandising. So now, you know, for example, the football soccer teams in Europe, their esports teams actually wear the traditional sports jerseys that the football and soccer teams are playing as well. So what the Miami Heat did, I think was really interesting, is that 
they actually kind of tweaked the Misfits logo to have the little heat flame at the end. So you can either buy a heat jersey or you could buy a Misfits jersey as well. So the merchandising opportunity, I think across the board, you know, whether it's, you know, the NBA and now MLS finally, after all these years, finally made their first announcement with the NYFC picking up a player, the jersey and merchandising opportunities are pretty amazing. And again, we're not talking a $10 jersey. I mean, some of these jerseys go up to 60, 70, $80, and the margins on that are extremely high. And Manny, what are some of the games? I know you you, you mentioned some early on, but wh- what are some of the more more popular games that you see are being played from a from a business, you know, from a professional esports standpoint? In terms of you know just the biggest games in general, you're it's it really comes down to kind of I would say the top five go back and forth. The top three are pretty much consistent. League of Legends is by far the biggest game. Then you get into Dota Two, which is obviously a MOBA, uh, which is very similar to League of Legends. Counter Strike, which has been around now for like almost two decades, um, is you know one of the most popular first person shooters. I would say you know those are kind of the big three. Then in the second tier, you have games like Call of Duty, Hearthstone, and obviously Overwatch and their new league that's coming out that's drawing viewership as well. Um, and then one thing that you know for me, I'm completely bullish on, um, and I think it will be the first truly mobile esport is Clash Royale, made by Supercell, which is owned by Tencent, which is the largest gaming company in the world. So those are kind of the games that I would say are the biggest in terms of viewership, but also you know business opportunities as well. However, you know you do have games and leagues like Rocket League. You have the Capcom Pro Tour for Street Fighter. So everyone, and obviously the NBA 2K E-League that's coming out as well. So I would say, you know, from a business opportunity perspective, any company that is thinking about esports will basically just launch it themselves to get the business opportunity outside of it. Because again, it's not only potentially, hey, broadcast rights, events, everything else. The one thing that people also miss is that this is probably the best marketing ROI you could possibly have where do you want to buy a commercial or would you rather have one of the most popular Twitch streamers just play your game for five hours to a hundred thousand or a quarter million people. Wow. So I think wow. it's really from a marketing perspective, it's, it's, in, it's enormous. Oh, wow. Wow. The opportunity is enormous. It's, it's amazing. Manny, in addition to the business of sports, a big focus of this show is on sports careers. Uh, what are the job and career roles in the esports industry? I guess I'm, and I know that could be very, very broad because you've got so many players from content and hardware, but of the esports teams, what are the job roles? Roles that are out that you see today, uh, perhaps even with with your team, and what jobs do you project uh, the industry will need in in, in the future? Yeah, uh, fantastic question. I would say right now I have about twenty five emails from people asking me the exact same question, <laughs> so it'll be good to get this answer out there. So I think the easiest way to answer that is take every single job in traditional sports. And that will be available in esports going forward. So, you know, do you want to be part of the crew that sets up the arenas like that happen, you know, around the sports? There's an opportunity there. Do you want to be a sportscaster or an esportscaster? There's an opportunity there. Do you actually want to be a player? There's an opportunity there. Right now, literally, there are probably, and this is public, so I can say it, you know, there are companies like Activision Blizzard, like Turner, 
other companies that have job postings for sales opportunities. So if you want to be a salesperson, just like every sports team has a salesperson to go out there and say, hey, Budweiser or who else do you want to sponsor a team? Esports is going to do the exact same thing. So in terms of what are the career opportunities, every single job that exists on the traditional sports side just put an E in front of it, and that's going to be the career opportunities for esports. Oh, that's that's a great answer. You know, I, that's why I think sales is a great profession. Every business has something to sell, and if you can generate revenue, if you can bring in top line revenue, you can always find a job. Absolutely, and you know, as, as I always like to quote, you know, one of my favorite philosophers, Wu Tang Clan: "Cash rules everything around me." Hey, that's right. That's right. If one is interested in, in a career in the business side of sport of, of esports, so what is your advice on the skills? Well, I guess you kind of answered that. It's, it's, it's the same, and I want to hear it's it's the same skills and, and roles and, and, and responsibilities. Yeah, yeah, and that that's you know one of the questions too that I get a lot is not only you know where can I work, but how do I basically start? And you know the answer that I base I give everyone is forget esports. You know, uh, look at ballet. Look at being a jazz musician, being a doctor, whatever profession that you want to get into, you know, I personally believe that, you know, the only way to excel is to completely dedicate yourself to one thing and completely focus on that. And that's why, again, I spend 25 hours a day thinking about esports and writing about it, but I also love esports. I love the industry. I've been a gamer since I was seven years old. Now I'm not going to tell you my age, but that's been a, that's a long time that I've been playing video games. So, you know, whatever you want to do, if you want to work in esports, if you want to do that, to read every single thing possible, reach out to people in the industry and try to get, you know, try to get information. But I think one thing that's, you know, really important that really works is go out there and make your own content. You know, like I said, you know, I started this one year ago. I didn't know what I was doing. I wrote on medium. I, re- I went back and read my first article. Right now, I'm on 167 articles that uh, 167 TNLs I've written and more articles is that, you know, you just need to immerse yourself, you know, within that space. So if I wanted to, again, you know, go figure out what's the, the, the Taiwanese semiconductor industry, I would read as much as possible about that industry and just start talking about it. And that way, once you immerse yourself through osmosis, that's just the best way, I think, to get into any profession. But, you know, one thing that, you know, people miss a lot is that, you know, you need to establish your brand to stick out because if you want a job in esports, there's 10,000 other people you're going to be competing against. So you need to do something that shows that, why someone wants to hire you versus those other 9,999. That is great career advice. Uh, and that is no different than any other career in sports. Absolutely. The only other thing I would add is, um, you know, you mentioned colleges. I think that's really important as well. So right now, based on my tracking, what I, what I can reveal, and I'm going to update this going forward is that there are currently about 20 plus schools giving out actual scholarships for esports. And what that means is, again, you know, college athletes can't get money. So that's tuition and room and board and help with that. So I think that's pretty amazing because once you build up that collegiate system, that then feeds into the pro system. Then you go backwards and then you also have a high school league, like high school star league as well. So you see that emergence of just like football, you know, you have peewee league, then you play 
play for your high school, then you get drafted by college, and then, you know, hopefully you get into the NFL. So I think that college experience is very important. But there's one other thing that I think is actually much more important to me is that, you know, college is very expensive. You and I have sons. And by the time, you know, 10 years from now, and they're in college, it'll probably be a million dollars a year. So we'll, we'll need to figure that out. So um, outside of just the financial help, I spoke to a mom who had, who had a son, who has a son who, um, you know, got drafted by one of the colleges and, you know, they got tuition help. And, you know, she's a single mom and college is expensive. And, you know, my question to her was, you must be so happy that, you know, you got, you know, a, a decent amount of money, you know, say probably about five figures to help out with your son, you know, and, and tuition and, you know, essentially paying for college. And her answer to me was actually very different. And, you know, it, I, I use this quote all the time. And she said, man, it's not about the money. The most important thing to me was that my son for the last six years of his life spent almost his entire time in his room playing video games. He went to school, you know, middle school, high school. No one talked to him. You know, he couldn't get the prom day because he was he was a nerd, you know, although nerds are cool now. But now that he's in college, he wears that varsity jacket. He's on an esports team, which is considered just like their baseball or basketball or football team or whatever. And he's got a community. He's got 8, 10, 12 other people that are on his team that he can then communicate with. And in fact, now he's more popular. So I thought that was the most interesting aspect of that is that, you know, for me, I did the same thing. You know, I played games by myself. And back when I was in middle and high school, you know, we were called nerds. But now that you do that, you're cool if you're a gamer right now. So I think that notion of community and college is probably one of the biggest things. That's a very, very powerful statement. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Absolutely. So that's the whistle. And when you hear the whistle, it means we're about to share with you a resource to take away from this conversation that you can use and implement right away in your own success journey. Manny, can you share with us a book that you have read or currently reading that has had impact on your career and you would recommend to our listeners? Oh, wow. That's a very good question. One, just personally in general, I tend to read a lot of, you know, nonfiction biographies. Steve Jobs is probably, you know, my biggest hero of all times. You know, recently, you know, read his book. I recently read a book on, you know, the, the opiate epidemic called Dreamland that's based in Ohio. So nothing related to esports. However, you know, if I had to recommend something for someone to read, you know, just in terms of business and just that sense, I would go back to an old book. I think it was actually made in the, in the 15 or 1600s, which is Machiavelli's The Prince. And I think Machiavelli's The Prince is a, is a fantastic book because it says it really, the theme is one thing. Do the ends justify the means? And if you look at it from that sense and you apply that from a business perspective, that's what I always try to figure out is, what I'm doing, will that produce the means that I basically, the ends that I want based on the means that I do? But I'll also give you this is, uh, for my athletes, I, I, you know, I say, you know, if you have a chance, I was like, please read this because it'll help you from a business perspective. The other piece of content that I think is super important is Jay-Z's first album. If you look at Jay-Z's first album and actually read, look, read through the lyrics, I mean, it's all about business. I mean, people will say, oh, no, he's just talking about drug dealing. That's fine. But if you look, if you really go through the lyrics of what he's saying, 
he's giving you tips on business, which is that, hey, you can't mess up. You got to work hard. You got to focus. If you screw someone, someone's going to screw you over. So listen to uh, Reasonable Doubt. I think it's a fantastic album. And as Jay-Z said, his best quote is, I'm not a businessman. I am business man. That's right. That's one of my favorite quotes too, Manny. That's awesome. Great. Well, Manny, thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show today. This is such an exciting area of sports. And if it's okay with you, I'd love to have you back on the show to, to delve into this even deeper. Absolutely. Happy to be back on anytime. And again, thank you for having me. And I wish you and your family and everyone uh, a good Friday and a great holiday weekend. Yeah, thank you, Manny. Was I right that Manny is the man in the know for all things esports? I discovered Manny from his podcast, The Next Level, which you can find in iTunes or on your favorite podcast app. I also encourage you to visit his website, tnl.media, for more information on the esports industry. You can also follow Manny on Twitter at Manny Anakel. There are links to all of this information in the show notes, which you can access by swiping left or right on your podcast app. I also want to correct a couple of statements I made in the opening. First, I want to clarify what I stated is the number of colleges with esports programs. While there are many esports clubs and teams on many, many campuses, there are approximately 20 varsity collegiate esports programs with scholarships, and this number is growing by what seems to be weekly. Second, there are several NCAA Power 5 conferences with esports teams. The University of Utah, at the time of this recording, became the first Power 5 conference school to create a varsity-level esports program with scholarships. And the Power 5 conferences are the Atlantic Coast Conference, the Big Ten Conference, the Big 12 Conference, the Pac-12 Conference, and the Southeastern Conference. If you have an interest in the business of sports, which I'm guessing you do since you're listening to this show, you must keep up with the development of esports. I believe esports will lead us to the future of sports technology, who consumes sports content, and how we consume sports content. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe to Beyond the Whistle on iTunes, now called Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Subscribing is the best way to stay updated on new episodes. Let's also connect on Twitter where you can find me at Odell McCants. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Whistle.